Given our cultural climate and the atrocities that took place a week ago that we've been hearing about in the news, I felt compelled to switch gears. I felt compelled to try and figure out what's, what's happening with all this stuff. And so I want to just start out with a little bit of a warning. This message is going to be PG-13, just because we're going to be talking about some of the, the evil stuff that's happening in our world today. And so if you have a small child here and you don't want them to uh, hear of the violence that's happening in our world, then uh, this is your chance to have them go to Promised Land, uh, our children's ministry. And uh, uh, so feel free, you're, you're the parent, you can make the, the call on that, but I just want to start by saying that last Sunday, October 1st, in Las Vegas, of course, another evil took place where a man from the 32nd floor of an adjacent hotel showered down a barrage of bullets on people who were just there for a concert. And many people lost their lives, many more were injured, and it was absolutely terrible. But if you've been around a little while, you know that this isn't really anything new. I mean, it's the worst, but it's not new. I mean, you can go back to April of 1999, and uh, we were rocked as a country because two crazy young guys went into Columbine High School and uh, shot up the place, and it was, it was absolutely terrible. Before that, even in the mid-90s, I think it was 1995, there was a postal worker that went into a post office and just started killing people. Well, 2007, April 16, 2007, a Virginia Tech student went around the campus killing people. Um, December 14th, well, let's start with November 5th, 2009, Fort Hood. A shooting in Fort Hood, Texas. December of 2012, there was a young deranged man who went into the Sandy Hook Elementary School and killed children and teachers. Not to mention the Aurora Theater in Colorado, the San Bernardino shooting, the Orlando nightclub shooting. I mean, it's crazy. Matter of fact, if you go back to Columbine and from Columbine 1999 to the present, there's actually, actually in the United States been 65 of these incidents killing, over, or killing 562 people. That doesn't include, you know, Oklahoma City back in 95, I believe that was. 9-11, uh, 2001. Then you've got hurricanes, you've got earthquakes, you've got ISIS. I mean, the list goes on and on. Suffering and death are all around us. And it begs the question, if God is all-powerful, and He is infinitely good, and why then is there evil in our world? Or where is God when all of this is happening? Those are real questions. Those are honest questions that deserve an honest 
well-thought-out answer. Because evil is real. And God is holy. And He is good. And He is all-powerful. And He is in control. So how do these things fit together? Well, this morning, I want to attempt to answer that based on the Bible. What does the Bible teach about these things? And the way I want to go about it is really just asking three questions this morning. The first question I want to ask is this. What went wrong? According to the Bible, what went wrong? According to the Bible, what went wrong is things changed dramatically after the flood. When God created the heavens and the earth, when He created the land, when He created the plants, when He created the animals, when He ultimately created human beings, at the end of those six days, He saw all that He created and He called it very good. This is very good. But then Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God and all of creation changed. We would now not only know good and very good, but now we would know evil. Go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, God gives Adam, of Adam and Eve, He gives him these instructions. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Well, the evidence of history is clear. We, as human beings, understand and are capable of that which is good. And yet we understand and are capable of that which is evil as well. We can offer our very best and we can offer our very worst. We know good and yes, now we know evil. It was never God's intent that we would have to look evil in the face. But every generation as far back as history records, has had to face evil. Matter of fact, Adam and Eve themselves, their son Cain killed his brother Abel, their other son. That was evil. And evil has been in our world throughout all of history. From dictators to deranged killers. Evil exists, and we know it. We also realize since the fall that our world is a hostile place. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden of evil, it was not hostile. It was wonderful. It was paradise. It was perfect. But then after the fall, God gave this pronouncement, this judgment, this curse when he was talking to Adam. Over in Genesis 3 and verse 17, 
Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, this is after the fall, instead of leading your wife, instead of protecting your wife, you listened to her voice and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Pretty harsh words, don't you think? But aren't they so true? It's the world we live in. Matter of fact, Romans 8, verses 19-22 through 22 says that the whole of creation suffers and groans. There seems to always be struggles that we hear about or that we're involved in ourselves. Hurricanes, there's another one hitting us again. Tornadoes, earthquakes, floods, diseases, plagues, wild animal attacks. You know, it's like when a disaster hits, we as human beings are like rag dolls, you know, just being tossed around by the things around us. And there's this sense of helplessness. There's this sense of chaos. There's little we can do to escape. It reminds us that our earth, as it is now, is not a place where we can find what we were made for. Peace and rest and security and order. Yeah, the earth is a hostile place, really. And we would also, because of the fall, know death. Did you realize that we were never meant to die? God didn't make us to die, but God didn't want us to stay in this corrupted world forever. We get that when we jump down to the end of Genesis 3, beginning at verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. We don't want him to live forever in this terrible place now that's affected by the fall. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out. And at the east end of the garden, at the east of of the Garden of Eden, He stationed the cherubim, those are angels, and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Death is actually an act of God's grace. But it always feels unnatural. Because it is unnatural. But it comes to us through disease, through accidents, through nature, And as we witnessed last Sunday through other people, death is a result of a fallen world. Because when sin entered the world, death entered the world through sin. Romans 5. So, that's what went wrong. The second question I want to ask is, what is God's plan? I mean, what could God be up to in all of this? Is there any rhyme or reason to this? Well, when we look from a distance at all the death and destruction that's going on, all the evil in our world, we typically will play the judge. And as the judge, we go 
to where the buck stops. And the buck stops at the top. And so we will judge God and typically often find Him guilty. But when we look closer, we see that maybe God is doing something through it all. And it's pretty profound. I think we're too close to the Las Vegas incident to actually say, this is what I see God did in the midst of all that atrocity. I mean, there was some heroic acts that happened by people, no doubt. But it was a mass murder. It was terrible. And we'll see over the course of time, maybe, what God does through it. You know, we live with these incidents, some of them that I mentioned. But we as a country really don't experience mass murders like other countries of the world. Matter of fact, one of the leading countries of our world that experiences mass murders is Sudan. In the center of Africa, just, just east of Ethiopia. In Adinka village in South Sudan, these Sudanese women witnessed an amazing slaughter of their village. Uh, Islamic militants came into this little Christian town and literally uh, slaughtered all the men, uh, kidnapped all the children, and ravaged the place, burning down the huts and uh, just absolutely terrible. The women that survived uh, after all of the carnage with all of their loved ones around them that were slain were in extreme agony. Over a hundred deaths in this little village in just a quick amount of time. And in their agony, they were picking up little twigs in the, on the ground and making them into tiny little crosses and pushing them into the dirt. Were they making memorials for the dead? No. In the, in the moment of their agony, they were acting in faith. They were realizing that God was there with them. Jesus was there with them in the midst of their pain. And they reached out to Him in faith. Even if the whole world was not in tune with what was going on, they knew that God was close and that He would see them, see them through this. They were not alone. The reality is, is that God shares in our sufferings. God shares in our suffering. Go with me to Isaiah 53. This is centuries before Jesus was born. The prophet Isaiah spoke about Jesus and His experience when He would be here on the earth. In Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He, Jesus, grew up before Him, God the Father, like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. 
Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. At the heart of the Bible is a God who cares and who comes to the aid of those who look to Him. You see, God liberates us not by removing our suffering. He liberates us by entering into our suffering with us. There's a book that I read a while back and it was good to reopen it and reread some of it as I was preparing. It's called Unspeakable by Oz Guinness. It's, the subtitle is Facing Up to the Challenge of Evil. There's a quote in this book that I absolutely love. It says this, and I have it up here on the screen for you. What other faith has at its heart a writhing body, torn flesh, shameful desertion and disgrace, anguished desolation, and a darkness that can be felt. But what other faith has a God who so takes evil into Himself that the day of the death of all deaths becomes the day death died? God knows our struggles. And in His infinite wisdom, He doesn't always remove them. Or move things so that we can avoid them. But He does promise to be there with us. He does promise to help us. And He loves us. And He shares in our sufferings. He knows our pain and that's why He came. And He does have a plan. And in the end, He wins. We win. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Here's kind of the layout of the plan. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at His coming. Then comes the end. When He, he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. And he has abolished, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Yeah, death. And all those things that go contrary to how good and great God is will be done away with. That's the end. I think we want the details though, don't we? Come on, just give me, give me the details. And right here, this is it's about as detailed as it gets. It doesn't get much more detailed than that. But we know this, that in the end, He wins. And we win. Imagine that you were in German-occupied France during World War II. And you wanted to join the resistance, you know, against the Nazis. And so... You're in a pub at night in, in France. You're in, you're in a pub. And uh, 
the leader of the French resistance meets you there, sits down next to you, and he asks you, do you want to be a part of the resistance? That's my French coming out for you. And you, you say, uh, yeah, we, we, we. We. I'm going to use that next hour. That's good. One. <laughs> so he slips you this piece of paper and you unfold it. And you start reading your orders, right? And as you look up to ask a question, he's gone. Okay, this is what I got. You fold it up, you put it in your pocket, and you're a part of the resistance. Now, sometimes you see what the leader is up to, and you just think, oh, thank, thank heavens that he's on our side. So many other times, though, you don't know what he's up to. The things don't seem to make a lot of sense. But once the war is over, once it's done, the secrets would be open, the codes would be revealed, and the operation would be made clear. I think that's how it is with God. We may be in the dark about what God might be doing here, or what He is doing, but we know who God is, and we trust Him. Sometimes it's clear, but other times you think, I, I don't know. But in the end, it'll make sense. And we win. But one last question that I think we need to ask that's relevant to today. What does God accomplish through pain? I mean like today. You know, like, okay, so you're going through pain. So what does He accomplish through our pain? I think four things biblically. The first one is this. He shows us His power through our pain. Some of you might remember that in John chapter 9, there's a story, a true story, about a man born blind. And it's interesting, Jesus' interaction with him. Go with me to John chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. It says this, As he passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Through this man's sufferings, if there was a guy in the first century who knew suffering, it was this man born blind. He was poor. He was a beggar. He obviously couldn't see anything. And... Uh, he just lived a really, really, really rough life. But Jesus said, this is why. So that my power might be revealed in him and through him. And he did this incredible miracle and healed him. I think we love being in control. You know, We love to have things under our control and in our power in our lives. And what afflictions do is they reveal just how really weak we are. This blind man had nothing, but God wanted to reveal His power through that weakness. Sometimes God uses afflictions to show His work, His power to heal broken lives, His power to mend broken relationships through our hardships. 
His power to save people through their pain. Because when they're in their pain, when they're in their suffering, they realize they need Him. And He uses our weaknesses or our hardships or our pain to strengthen us as human beings. Matter of fact, that leads to the second thing I think He does through pain. He grows us as His children. The Bible is you know, full, chock full of this stuff. Like in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God will grow us through our suffering so that we might comfort others who are suffering. That we might minister to others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is praying that the thorn in the flesh would be removed from him. Remember that? But his power, God's power is made made real in our weaknesses. So shows us how, how we really need Him. You know, how we have to rely on Him. In James chapter 1, verses 2-4, through four, it's that through the trials that we go to, through, that God will make us more complete. He'll make us, he'll, he'll mature us. Yeah, over and over again, if we let Him nurture us in the midst of our hardships, He'll shape us those trials I think the third thing that he does is he not only grows us as individuals but he uses affliction and pain to grow us as a body as a church family go with me to 1st Corinthians chapter 12 1st Corinthians chapter 12 verse uh, 26 1st Corinthians 12 26 and if one member suffers. Now this is right in the heart of talking about body life, church body life. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Reminds me of Romans chapter 12 and verse 15 that says we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Yeah, this little girl, her name was Carly, and she's on the playground with her little friends, and her mom is sitting there on the bench by the playground, and she's talking to other moms, and they're visiting, and, and then she hears little Carly crying, and she comes running up to her mommy, and she has a big scrape on her knee, and she comes up to her mommy, 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 mommy. and her mom holds her and kind of holds her by her shoulders, and she says, oh, honey, Carly, oh, what happened? I scraped my knee, I fell on the and I scraped my knee, and it really hurts. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, what happened was, it's the laws of inertia, honey. <laughs> you see, the speed that you were going at, and then, and then the laws of gravity, when you hit that one item, it actually caused you to fall forward, and gravity pulled you to the ground, and then when your knee hit the the gravel, the, the friction caused the... No, no, no. Nor did mommy say, honey, God is really trying to teach you something here. Mm -mm, what does mommy do? Oh, come here, honey. And she puts her on her lap and she kisses her and she hugs her and she gets the gravel out of that cut and she tries to help clean her up. You know, when someone is hurting... As a church, we don't give some sort of theological reason as to what's happening there. No, it's times like this, you know, when we're in a lighted room and we're 
kicking through the Bible, maybe what might be happening. We, get, we understand that. That's when we can wrestle with it. We don't try to explain the why behind the pain. Through pain, we grow as a body the way that God wants us to be. Through pain, we, we can love and we can care and we can show mercy and grace and wisdom. Yeah, I think He grows us as a body through suffering. One more thing I think He does through pain. He prepares us for eternity. He prepares us for eternity. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, in other words, you know, the physical stuff, it's hard. It's just hard. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now get this, verse 17 is important. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. You know, if people don't have a future to trust in, where God will right all wrongs, where God will carry out perfect justice and show the future that He has been preparing for us through our pain, this life would be so meaningless. So empty. So evil and distressing. You know that guy that shot all those people in Vegas? When I heard that the SWAT team, when they got there, found him that he had taken his own life. I don't know if you were like me, but I thought, that's not fair. We needed to carry out justice with that guy. And he went, he copped out by taking his own life. And then my biblical mind got the best of me. And the fact is, that man's going to have to stand before God. Everyone will stand before God. And he will carry out his perfect justice. Every single person needs Jesus. Every one of us. We need to know that the Lord is near. We need to have a personal relationship with Him that's real and not just rote or practices that we do. Life is so hopeless without Him. Let me share with you Psalm 46 as I close. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Psalm 34.18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, we're talking about earthquakes, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at the swelling pride, that's hurricanes and tsunamis, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. No matter what's happening on the earth, in heaven, it's paradise. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised His voice. The earth melted. By the way, this is a part of His eternal plan. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Where it says, Selah, that's just a pause in the song. Just take a pause and think about it. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations on earth. In other words, He's going to do away with evil. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Now listen to verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. Don't don't be afraid. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? 